so we hold each other tightly and hold on for tomorrow. We are Hottest 100s and Thousands and we have taken control of your radio station. This is the podcast in which we take a look at every last song that has been deemed hot enough to be in the Triple J Hottest 100. My name is David James Young and I'm one of the three voices you'll be hearing for the next hour or so. Joining me are my co-host, Mr. Andrew McDonald. Pleasure to be here. And, of course, Mr. Nathan Harrison. Hello, hello. Uh, and then there were three. Uh, much similar to uh, R.E.M., who we talked about last episode, we are down a member. Uh, Mr. Adam Buncher is in Canberra and could not be with us today. He sends his apologies. But, of course, the show must go on. So we're going to go on and make a couple of uh, critically mixed records, but uh, overall fairly underrated uh, stuff. So I, th- I think this will be good. This will be our reveal moment. Ah. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, so, True ourselves. Yes, we are still uh, uh, balls deep into the 1993 Hottest 100, and uh, we are cracking on today with five more songs that... I'm going to say this is another very random array of songs. It's weird. Yeah, you, you, you would not make this mixtape. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a couple in here. It's just like, how the hell did this chart? Like, especially when you're just like, this got higher than Man of the Fucking Moon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was it. yeah. This got higher than Gloria. What the shit? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's find out who we're going to be talking about today. Let's start at the beginning. A very good place to start. We are going to uh, head over to sunny old England. Uh, right now at number 90 the first of eight appearances they will make over the next 10 years in the hottest 100 here's blur with four tomorrow he's a 20th century boy with his hands on the With Four Tomorrow there, coming in at number 90 in the 1993 Hottest 100. Uh, Andrew, let's start with you. Now, we've picked a, a pretty opportune time to be talking about Blur, given that uh, Damien Albarn's debut solo album just dropped this week, and it's also the 20th anniversary of Park Life. So, now that we are uh, yeah, talking about Blur for the first time, just tell us uh, what your history is with the band. I never really got the whole, I guess, the Britpop thing. I obviously wasn't there when it was happening at the time, so you have yeah. the, in a sense, the benefit of hindsight, so to speak. But um, it's the band never really. Whenever people spoke about the uh, the Oasis Blur kind of rivalry, I found the the rivalry and the stories around that more interesting than the music. Mm-hmm. The only band from, I guess, from that sound that really connected with me on any level is Pulp, who I am a huge fan of. Yeah. Um, but like. Yeah, Blur never really blow me away in a huge way. And this song, um, again, it does, I don't really connect with it in any meaningful way. It's the kind of song that I understand why it would have been a moment at the time. But mm. I, I think that maybe I'm just being a bit cockeyed here, but I think that with the benefit of hindsight, I, I don't think that it's an, an amazing song. I don't think it would have any sort of critical regard 
or popularity at all. It's the kind of meandering, kind of middle of the road track. I don't really, I don't really feel it. I, I get the like the video, like the video helps with this as well. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like I have a bit of a pang of nostalgia to go visit Camden again and piss, yeah, sure. piss about on Primrose Hill. And it is a <laughs> lovely view. He's right. Um, but. Yeah, I don't really buy it that much. I'm not, yeah. Was this your first time listening to this track in particular? It was, yeah. That's, that's the thing. I might, every time I've, I've gone to examine Blur, I've always listened to a few songs and I'm like, you know what? I don't really buy it. I know that, like, obviously, like, song two is not representative of their sound no. on purpose. Yeah. That's, like, meant to be a parody track. But the, I guess the Blur sound is not one that I connect with. So I never really examined it. This song just helps to further that argument. Yeah, of course. Uh, Nathan, were you uh, ever big into Britpop? Or no, is this I'm a- kind of in the same boat, really. I've listened to Parklife. I don't really remember listening to Parklife. I keep not. thinking I should go back to it, but I never really make an effort to. I like pulp, but mm-hmm. none of it, it just doesn't grab me. I've never been a blur person. Okay. I missed it. You? <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I'm in the minority here because I'm actually a really big Blur fan. I have been since I was a kid. Not often does um, that happen with Blur fans. <laughs> I find myself having to defend this point of view quite a bit. <laughs> Look, like, obviously I grew up with Song 2, but um, around the same time, uh, you know, I'd find songs like Country House and Charmless Man that I got really into. I was obsessed with Gorillaz when I was about 11 or 12 and that album dropped. And then when I realised... The guy singing in Gorillaz, or 2D rather, was the same guy who was singing in Blur. I was just like, ah. And then I made a further connection, got the greatest hits. Um, In 2003, they released their final album, Think Tank. And I really got into that, even though it was completely different to everything they'd done previously. Um, so, yeah, over the over the years, I've become a really big fan of these guys. How do you and, feel about For Tomorrow? Ah, uh, look... I think it shows a lot of the early development of their sound. Like, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a rough drawing, if you will. I don't think it's reflective of of the greatness that would come a bit later on. Uh, it's some people's favorite Blur track, and I, in some ways, I can see why. But it's 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 a passable one for me. Yeah, I probably wouldn't put it in my top ten. You know, I don't think it's an essential track. But you know, it's it's definitely an emphasis on the pop and Brit pop. But uh, yeah. If it, if it comes on, you know, it's on the greatest hits, I was just like, yeah, sure, I'll just, I'll, I'll listen to it again. But, you know, it's not a track that I really go out of my way to listen to. Mm. That said, In the Britpop Wars was always on Blur's side. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> there are few people I despise on this planet more than the Gallicans. <laughs> Good lord. We will get to talk about Oasis uh, in uh, some depth later on, but... Um, were either of you interested in this whole saga of pop music in the 90s? Did you ever no. look into it? Just being like, no, what was that all about? You know, There's a really wonderful uh, documentary on the subject. Um, uh, Live Forever. Exactly, Live Forever. It's a wonderful film. Um, yeah, and I that think is that, fucking great. Yeah, it's really excellent viewing, and it's very interesting and exciting. And actually, it's well worth picking it up on DVD solely for the extras, which are the outtakes of the Gallagher's just shitting on each other, yeah. and Blur, and Oasis, and Britpop. It's like... I, I, I'm quick to crap on them, but I'm also quick to read anything they'll ever say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a car wreck. Like, uh, away. It's just like, a Gallagher said something about a contemporary band. It's just like, oh, Jesus. Uh, Here we go. I have to click that, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not so much what they're going to say, because you know, it's just, uh, this is fucking shite, but yeah. it's the way that <laughs> they, the way say, they it. say it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, one of them out the other, I can't remember, but I think it's the, a beautiful quote saying that they're... Um, 
a, I think it's Noel about Liam saying that he is a man with a fork in a world of soup. Like, <laughs> that's your brother who you were writing songs with for 20 fucking years. Like, oh man. And it's like they don't understand that people still like, you know, consider them to be, well, they are related. Yeah. So, but when one brings the other down, it's like, you're not helping yourself. Yeah. yeah. Like, Definitely you're not. making the Gallagher brothers worse yeah. by picking on each other. It's terrible. But uh, I think this song's alright. Like, I mean, yeah. it's, it's possible. I don't think I would ever go back to it, but I can kind of see. You can see early Brit pop in it. Yeah, definitely. And you know, and, and they wrote it, and they wrote the whole album. Uh, modern modern life is modern rubbish. Life, like they yeah. wrote that after co- going and touring the UK, uh, the US, sorry, and having a bad time there because everyone was super into grunge and being earnest. Mm. And so then they come back and write this, and it's a lot more ironic. And yeah, more, sure. Yeah, it's got that Morrissey wink to it. Yeah, yeah. and you know, and without that, we wouldn't have. We wouldn't have pulp. Yeah, and definitely. Th- and, you know, we wouldn't have things like um, The Verve later on as well. Yeah, definitely. Kind of cynical, ironic look at things. And so it's it's got that value. Mm. I don't think the song is that interesting. Mm. Were are either of you guys into the various uh, Damon Albarn projects over the years? Like uh, Gorillaz. I Good love Gorillaz. The Good, yeah. the Bad and the Queen. Uh, his, uh, They're okay. Oh, the Monkey soundtrack that he did. <laughs> That was yeah. pretty. That was pretty interesting, yeah, actually, right. to see him, you know, take on the role of composer as opposed mm. to being like the the central focus as the vocalist. Yeah. Um, their guitarist Graham Coxon, blues guitarist rather, has um, released a heap of solo albums. A lot of a lot of it just sounds like Blur, right. but you know it is what it is. <laughs> but there we go, bit of Blur for tomorrow. Alright, number 89, uh, we are going to be talking about the second Indigenous Australian act to be featured in the countdown. At number 89, here's Mixed Relations with Aboriginal Woman. Relations at number 89 in the 1993 Hottest 100 with Aboriginal Woman. Uh, well, Nathan, what's been your relationship with this song? Is, it, is this your first time Abs- yeah, uh, first listening time. to this? Yeah. yeah, and mixed relations in general. Yeah, yeah, that's just not part of my upbringing, I guess. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, and reading about, like, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with Yothi Yindi. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a connection with uh, Bart Willoughby there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, this is this was a new song for me. Your reaction? It's nice. 
particularly compared to uh, where were we at last last week uh, with Kev Carmody and and we, you know we talked about that having a bit more of a world music feel. Yeah, sure. This is more of a Dave Matthews feel. Like it's that kind <laughs> it's of strange, isn't just it? Just taking indigenous music but making in this ultra accessible kind of reggae groovy mm. like. I'm sure white people can listen to this music too. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's fine, you know. It's that, it's, it's just a bizarre crossover very of strange. traditional Aboriginal music and like very early 90s dance, you know. It's yeah. got that drum machine and, you know, that, that sax line. Sax, oh my god. Yeah. For every kind of moment at the start, like when there's like a bit of a punchy groove kind of thing like that, and then they bust it out without sax, and I'm like, oh, oh man, right, this next is, level. This yeah. is 20 years old, I forgot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, and it, I don't think it sounds Australian in like the no. musical style at all. No. It reminds me a lot of um, when Treaty by Yotha Yindi was remixed um, in the late 90s, and you know, it was mostly a focus on the Treaty, yeah, Treaty, yeah. Now. Mm. just with that big doo, 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 that yeah. big thing going behind it's just like, well, you're taking a lot of the identity out of the song, yeah. but uh, yeah, some yeah. somehow this this whole hybrid kind of manages to work for the most part of this song. Did you enjoy it, Andrew? It's nice enough. I um I do think that like I guess this is my first time listening to mixed relations as well. Yeah. When the chorus first came on, I guess the I guess the, the uh, actual re- repetition of Aboriginal woman that actually it rang a bit of a bell, but I don't. Maybe that's just the it was mm. a generic kind of melody. But the sax the sax clicked something clicks, in my head. Yeah. I was just like. I swear I've heard this yeah. before. Yeah. It's not a horrible song. I do think that part of me, I will have a, a knee-jerk reaction of happiness whenever I see any Aboriginal artist. In Absolutely. The I guess there is that, that current trend of, in this song, I felt a bit of that, that kind of dude-bro feminism of like, it's a male singing about how wonderful a woman is, but from a male's perspective, like the lyrics about the, like, she's the key to a lot of man's hearts. Like yeah. There was a bit of that sickly sweet, like... It's like, huh? How, how yeah. important are women? Because we're men and we know this. Like, oh, even nice. though, like There wasn't much Aboriginal identity in the song, I felt. There was just... It, it's not a horrible song, but it's the kind of song that... that I, 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 I haven't looked into them, but I'm sure the band have better songs. I'm not, not going to discredit them. Yeah. And I, like I said, I am stoked to see an Aboriginal act in Australia again. Yeah. yeah. But it's, again, the kind of thing that I... Like, I, I'm not going to go back to this song. It's kind of weird, like, to see, like, sometimes... Yeah, a lot of Indigenous Australian music does get ignored, unless it sounds like white music yeah, in a yeah. way, you know, especially with Average Woman, the Treaty Remix, etc. Yeah. But Bart Willoughby in particular, I, I feel, is kind of quite similar to Kev Carmody, a very underrated kind of legend of Australian music, just when you look at the kind of pedigree of acts that he's been in, you know, yeah. playing in Coloured Stone, who were an incredible act, Yothi Yindi was in for a while, Goanna, yeah. who wrote... Um, Solid Rock, which is again one of the yeah, definitive, brilliant. um, yeah, Aboriginal Australian songs, songs of all, yeah. yeah, just one of the definitive Australian songs, really. So, yeah, it's interesting to kind of see him, uh, take it in this direction on, yeah, on I guess take on yeah. what was ostensibly white music, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, but uh, again, like, I, you know, when we talked about Kev Comedy, we talked about the context in terms of the, the Red Fern speech was around this time, Marbo was the year before. And, and Mixed Relations played at the Survival Day concerts yeah, from 89 yeah. through to 94. So yeah. this is right in the middle of that. Yeah, and like, absolutely. This song is is a very accessible celebration of Indigenous culture. Yeah. Like, what, I would say much more accessible than the Kev Carmody Kev's song. Much, like, yeah. Sure. This is a radio hit. Like, this is this can play in a cafe and that's fine sort of thing. It's not a thing. Yeah, Which, sure. like, I don't know, just in the context of... A, a more open, accessible celebration of Indigenous there is culture. I, I think the song is, is hitting its mark, yeah. really. Yeah, if that's what it's trying to do, then I think it does it. Yeah. 
Alright, that was uh, Mixed Relations with Aboriginal Woman, number 89, in the 1993 Hottest 100. Other end of the scale, we have now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, once once again, we get to employ our good friends in Monty Python when we say, and now for something <laughs> completely different. At number 88, uh, from the album Fuzzy, here is Grant Lee Buffalo with Dixie Drugstore. Buffalo at number 88 with the song Dixie Drugstore. Now, Adam couldn't be here today, but he did say to pass on this one message, fuck this song. <laughs> yeah. Now, I like to think that he couldn't be here because he was just he was too, just much too much rage. And look, I'm going to be honest, I don't really see what he's so angry about. What is his problem? This is, to me, this is a very gentle haze of folk rock. It's a, you know, a little Dylan-esque sort of ramble. It's not the... Like, Fuzzy is a great album in particular, and, like, I wouldn't put this as one of the best songs on it, and it doesn't really carry the emotional heft of a lot of the tracks on the record, but, you know, it's it's pleasant enough. It's got its own kind of thing going, and I, I appreciate GLB as a, yeah, very unique songwriter at the time, taking bits and pieces from... You know, your Leonard Cohen's, your Bob Dylan's, even your Randy Newman's to an extent, and creating something that was, you know, personal and unique to him. Sadly, I believe this is the only time we are going to be talking about Grant Lee Buffalo and the Hottest 100. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure. Fairly underrated acts uh, throughout the 90s, uh, released consistently interesting records, is still writing and working with different acts to this day. Last thing he did, recently enough, uh, he recorded an album with Margaret Cho, huh. uh, the uh, the Asian-American comedian um, who uh, is a singer in her own right, and she just wrote lyrics to his music. And, how uh, bizarre. Yeah, how bizarre indeed. Uh, Andrew, let's uh, let's kick this to you. Uh, what's your what's your take on the world of Mr. Grant Lee Buffalo? I actually, um, I don't think, before this song, I don't think I'd heard those three words together. I'm very, so I couldn't be less familiar with Grant Lee Buffalo. Yeah, right. Um, I don't think I hated the song as much as the department <laughs> Mr. Buncher did, but I really... Hi, Adam. I really didn't pay it, though. I, um, I do have a bit of a immediate kind of cringe factor with any sort of American exceptionalism and like the Americana sound I've never really connected with it 
This not that it's interesting because you're such a big fan of Nick Cave and like that's, yeah, such, sure. that's yeah. his MO is drawing. His MO is indeed drawing on that Americana sound. But I think more than it was not so much the lyrics, but the sound that faux country twang. It's not Sweet Home Alabama, but it's the same ballpark that for me. That kind <laughs> really? of yeah, it's yeah, walking in Memphis. It is walking <laughs> in Memphis. Yeah, the, the lyrics were terrible. That offering up a play to greens, some enticing woman giving you bourbon before sex. Like it was all just a little bit. Yeah, a little bit fucking boring. And then that whole, like, I met this woman at this shop. That shop's been closed yeah. for 20 <laughs> years. But yeah, I thought that yeah, it was just a, a, a peddling song that I thought I was listening to it and I thought, this is not incredible, but it's just kind of crappy. And then I checked that it had been playing and nearing its conclusion. And it was at the three minute mark of a five minute song. It just, <laughs> just it just like it just goes on. It, it, it sounds longer than some Godspeed tracks. It, just, <laughs> it, it was just agonizing. It was so long. I will not listen to it again. I take it you weren't a fan either, Nathan? No, no, I didn't hate it as much as Adam, and this is my first Grant Lee Buffalo as well. But okay. I, I think I think it's pretty trite. I, I think it's just it doesn't do anything. It, it, it's walking in Memphis Bay. And I no. Not a fan. <laughs> you have nothing else to that, add. What, uh, what else is there? To, there to say the the more it. time we spend talking about it, the more we are like uh, you know approving of it as a song worthy of discussion. <laughs> no, I, I don't hate it as much as Adam, and I like I guess musically it is. Can you can you see at least? Can either of you see why Adam hated it so much? No. I well, mean, I, I can see why Adam would because I know that he's yeah. I I, I guess the. That cringeworthy Americanist, I reckon, will have gotten to Adam. Yeah, I'm it's also it's a very like musically, it's very passive, and it feels like it's not. It, it is middle of the road city. Yeah, <laughs> it's just that kind of storytelling music, and that you know that obviously has a rich tradition in that kind of Americana. But yeah. the story for me is not interesting, it's not, it's and it's not just, worth telling. just littered with Americana cliches that, that like you know going to New Orleans and yeah. getting some collard greens. Yeah. It's just like having bourbon. Oh, really, <laughs> ranch? <laughs> Must you? If that is your real yeah, name, yeah. Mr. Lee Buffalo. <laughs> I mean, I, I appreciate the name in terms of like Grant Lee Buffalo. Like you know, those three words like really they dig really deep into Americana, and I'm like, oh, you, that like that's cool, but. Sure. Like, I don't pay the song. All right, <laughs> all right. You heard, you heard the man, GLB. You were getting nothing from us, not a damn thing. Grantly Buffalo, number eighty-eight, with Dixie Drugstore. All right, it's time for number eighty-seven in the nineteen ninety-three hottest one hundred. And this is the first of three consecutive years that we get to talk about this motherfucking band, ladies and gentlemen, with the song "Do It" at number eighty-seven. It's Swoop!
Swoop at number 87 with the song Do It! Now, I realise that we are very, very early on, relatively, in the Hottest 100, but we may have found the whitest song that we are going to be talking about. The strain falsetto, the cheesy guitar, the, the, oh, just the whole thing is just like, what the hell? It just felt so anachronistic and so bizarre. My relationship with Swoop begins and ends with Apple Eyes, which we're going to be talking about in two years' time. <laughs> <laughs> which is another one of the uh, Power FM songs, as I brought up last yes. time, that I had no idea what it was, but I used to hear it all the time on the radio. It's just like, yeah, fuck yeah. I didn't realise that they were fairly popular Have for quite a few albums. Years. Have a few albums. Yeah. Where, you know, going for quite a long period of time, obviously. So this isn't my go-to song for Swoop. <laughs> <laughs> I literally thought they were a one-hit wonder and then they fell off the face of the earth not long after releasing that song. But apparently... Three years. Um, yeah, you know, dig in and... Uh, Seven years or so. Yeah, I found a found a little bit more than I bargained for. It's a, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, it's, it's fun, but it's very daggy and it's very kind of... The production is very tinny, and it's just, yeah, it, it sounds like it was recorded on VHS, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just got that very hissy 90s feel to it. They must have known at the time that the sound was not going to last as well. Like, Definitely even not. That like, roller as, disco as, funk sort of yeah, thing, you know, mm, the chic ripoff, uh, yeah, pretty much. As you said, with them being, like, the crazily whitest that you can possibly imagine. Oh my like, lord. That, I guess, people Blindingly white. Yeah, people use, I guess... Quasi disparagingly, they people refer to the term blue-eyed soul. This is blue-eyed yeah. funk. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah. It, it is just watered down. Like you take the groove of excellent African American funk music and water it down to its weakest one in tenth form, and you'd have swoop. Absolutely. Yeah. Was this your first? Different. Was this your first time listening to, it was my to these first guys? Time listening to swoop at all? Yeah. Oh right. So yeah. you, you don't know the next? The, no, I know <laughs> the name, but I didn't know who did it. Uh. Yeah, and this song, I. Like, it blows me away to think that this song was, like, around the same time as, like, Nirvana's In Utero. Or, sure. like, R.E.M. Um, Automatic for the People. Yeah. 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 Mazzy Stars, um, Tonight Got On My Sleep. Yeah. These, these are all albums that came around at a similar time, and those albums have an age, but they sound like they're from a certain era, and it encapsulates that era. When you hear In Utero, it sounds like you're listening to a, a classic... 993 grunge record. And it really, oh, for sure. And it, but it rings true today still. This sounds like in 93, it must, people must have thought to themselves, this is like 1979, but sure. a horrible <laughs> version of that. Yeah. It's, Horribly dystopic yeah. 1979. Yeah. I'm probably, I'm, maybe I'm being too harsh on it. It's not a terrible song. It's just crazily aged. It's, yeah. it's like, it, like, as you said, it's fun enough, but it's also like forgettable as anything like, it's just like diluted basketball music yeah but this is this is my first swoop as well like but when I heard I it I was just like neither of you had heard Apple Eyes that song was the I shit know, when we get to it maybe we'll be like oh right that it's song that yeah. but I don't know like to me this just sounds like a bunch of white guys got together and said let's write some basketball music yeah. like, and to be fair we've all thought that yeah. it's a very admirable goal but it just sounds like a really Really horrible watered down version of some white guys trying to do like two unlimited. 
not ready for me. I feel like I should have heard this when I went to basketball in the 90s, which I did a lot because it was the 90s. This should have been on the Space Jam soundtrack. I'm so glad it wasn't, though. Oh, man. Because it would have sullied what was an indisputably classic soundtrack. Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, for me, it rings as that kind of music, but this, like, how did it happen? Poorly, sure. I guess, is the answer to that. I don't know. I think the interesting thing about this podcast so far has been, like, kind of unlocking the archives a little bit, you know, like, doing the whole thing of, like, seeing the Hottest 100 as a time capsule and just looking through some of the acts and just being like, where the fuck did you come from? Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> I guess it ties into that, I guess, that idea of, um, I guess, the trope codifier for this would be the Velvet Underground and Nico, that kind of classic idea of... Nobody, not many, not many people bought the record, but everyone that did started a really influential band. Yeah, and of I guess when I think of '93, I think to myself, what a wonderful time for music. Again, I talk about In Utero, I talk about Massey Star, R.E.M. Yeah. I talk about it for the people. I know they these albums, not so much Massey Star, but R.E.M. already making an appearance. R.E.M. will make more appearances. They but will. But in my head, they're the bands that I think of with this era. Not, I, I guess, why would you think of these? Every era has a forgettable bands, and it's, I guess, a real kind of easy thing to bring up when arguing with people who say that we don't like the in the past was so good the music today is crap yeah blah 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 like dude in 20 years time they're going to be bands that you didn't realize you missed like yeah exactly yeah and even like locally as oh well. they're the worst i call yeah. those people corpse fuckers yeah <laughs> yes, they are. yes they are terrible it's just like do you have to wait a certain amount of time before you can enjoy so, a piece like of like music? a band yeah yeah so only like old stuff it's just like well, everything's going to be old eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, do, do, do you have to wait Lord's going to turn 30 eventually. Yeah. Do, you have, do you have to wait until Royal Headache break up before you realise how good Royal Headache is? Yeah, exactly, right? Fucking hell. Do we have anything more to say on Salute before we uh, lock them up for another year? I'm really excited that we get to come back to them. Yes. yes. <laughs> Just because uh, I don't understand how that is the thing. <laughs> we'll see you soon, Swoop. Bye. Alrighty, uh, now we've locked up Swoop, we'll see them in a year, uh, but uh, here we go, uh, here's an act that uh, we won't have to lock up because they'll be back relatively soon, at number 86, making their debut in the Hottest 100, here's New Order with World, brackets, The Price of Love, close brackets. Jungle 
order at number 86 in the 1993 Hottest 100 with World, The Price of Love. Andrew, let's kick this one to you to start off. Joy Division fan, I can safely assume. Hugely, yes. Hugely. Um, so I can imagine you're just like, Ian Curtis died for this. <laughs> to a certain degree, there is, I've always had that kind of reaction with New Order. I've, sure. I've known their songs and their sound before, I suppose, because they were more popular than Joy Division ever were. Yeah, naturally. Um, so I knew their songs and their sound before I knew about the Joy Division link. And then when I found that out, I thought I must have misconnected the dots somehow because those two Joy Division records and the Substance compilation as well are just indisputably perfect. I will... No doubt. If mm. people don't like them, I don't. you just don't understand it. Um, they're one of those bands. Yeah, me. sure. Um, and then when I... Like, then I've heard the early New Order albums and like the first few, they're not bad either. There's some, there's some aesthetic there that I don't particularly mind like I guess and this song as well honestly I, I, I don't hate it but I do part of me thinks to myself how on earth did you continue on after Ian died and just it, it, it speaks to how genius Ian was that this is what they did without him yeah Ian was exactly he knew exactly what to do with the instruments that he had being played behind him he was Joy Division I didn't realise that um, but then you hear songs like this and this is I guess many many years after uh, Joy Division ended yeah, yeah. and New Order began. It's probably about 10 years after yeah. Ian died, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at this they, point. They celebrated the anniversary with this song. <laughs> I, I, I can take it you uh, you didn't take too kindly to this one. Actually, I didn't mind it. I guess the sound kind of recalls a bit of early Depeche Mode. It's a sound I have a bit of an affinity for. That like The the worst thing about it are the uh, the chorus female vocals. Mm. Uh, yeah. Something I'm never interested in, even in songs that I adore. It's fun enough. the The beat is kind of good. The groove and the keyboard work, I can still get a bit of a bit of fun out of. It's not the kind of thing that I will ever think to myself, "Ah, oh, man, New Order." When when you think about Joy Division, you can't help but bring up New <laughs> Order's world. Um, but I, I enjoy it enough. I can see that if I was twenty years older than I am, I would probably be dancing this at a club. No, in nineteen ninety four, I would have <laughs> no got, got my groove onto this. I don't mind it at all. I, it's fun enough. Yes. Yeah. Nathan, do you have much of a relationship with Joy Division or New Order? Joy Division, yes. New Order, a little bit. Like, I, you know, I've listened to them enough to be like, oh, cool, that's what New Order is, that's yeah. fine. Like, that, yeah. You know, obviously Joy Division are very, very important, sort of getting into them at the same time. We were listening to a lot of the early Cure stuff. Exactly. Like that, that whole period yeah. and, and tone. You know, Robert Smith and Ian Curtis were very good friends, and, and Ian Curtis... Was the reason that Robert Smith didn't kill he himself? He says, yeah, like, yeah. He brings that up. Ian Curtis's death saved his life. Yeah, yeah. So you know that's very important. And so I, I, I pretty much agree with you. Joy Division, kind of, kind of perfect and yeah. like untouchable in a lot of ways. And I kind of, I res- certainly, I respect New Order for doing something that is very different. It would have been the worst thing for New that's Order true. to be trying to be trying like closer again yeah that would be horrible that's true that would be really really bad and they just sort of turn into this horrible Joy Division cover band that <laughs> that no one would want to touch I think this <laughs> is a pretty bad New Order song mm. you know I listened to it and I was like oh that's that's weird and so I went back and listened to a few other New Order songs I was like oh no I, I much prefer it's certainly them way past their prime yeah and that's sure. it I, I think I think this being in the countdown is a real hanger on of the 80s and just this kind of I would Hazard that a lot of people didn't vote for this song because they wanted to vote for this song, but because they wanted to vote for a New Order song or even even a Joy Division song, and it's like, oh no, Triple J are doing only this year now. Well, New Order have a uh, new course. song out. I'm going to vote for it. As Joy Division did win the previous two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Like I don't know. I, I think it's a lot of carry on from that, and I think 
the sound of the song itself is, is a lot like that Kate Bush song that we talked about last time. Yeah, it's, it's a real hanger on of yeah. the 80s sound and, and just feels like nostalgic for six years ago or whatever. This song, this song feels like a remix. Like, it doesn't sound like it's actually supposed to be in New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like someone has, has done a remix of it. It's just, it's so full on 90s and it's really interesting to see you know, a band that are considered legendary these days to be trying to keep up with the kids at that yeah. point, you mm. know. Uh, to contrast between this and Depeche Mode, who we talked about previously, instead of trying to keep up with the kids, they were just like, we don't give a fuck. We're never going to make Just Can't Get Enough Again. Here, fucking taste this yeah. riff. And taste it was awesome like, Yeah, and that was an amazing decision. Keep up with Nine Inch Nails kids. Whereas, yeah, yeah, particularly the chorus of this New Order song, it's just it's just empty. Yeah. It just doesn't feel like anything. Mm, what, what's it's... your connection with Joy Division, Toad? Uh, well... And the New Order as well. Yeah. Interestingly, I, I was into New Order originally. I didn't know Joy Division existed ah. when I first heard New Order, which was... I would have been about 11, and they had a song called 60 Miles an Hour, which um, had uh, just come out, and... I was into that, and I had no previous context to that. A few years later, they released an album called Waiting for the Siren's Call. I really, really got into that album and discovered Blue Monday. And then later on, when I found out about Love Will Tear Us Apart, I eventually connected the dots. I was just like, hang on. Yeah. So that person was in this... Oh, yeah. right. So it all connects. Yeah. Whatever that Ian guy I wonder. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 I see. Oh, when you find out, you know, it's the worst feeling, isn't it? I love I love when you discover a band and then you're just like I wonder what they're up to these days. Yeah. Oh, they're all dead. Yeah. Fuck. Thankfully, people now get to discover Joy Division through the Wombats. Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> don't fucking remind me. I, I, it's very interesting that so many people, uh, myself included, uh, find Joy Division through Love Will Tear Us Apart, which yeah. is a brilliant song, but it's just not at all representative of the Joy Division sound. Mm. Like, no, it's definitely not. Almost like that kind of. Like, whilst it is ironically major, but that kind of keyboard yeah. melody is so different to, like, yeah. say... My brother got into Joy Division because of Warsaw, which Wonderful. was featured on a Tony Hawk Underground soundtrack. That's incredible. Wow. So he used to just go around We'd doing mad kickflips yeah. while Joy Division was playing. But Warsaw is a wonderful song. Yeah. <laughs> he fucking loves it. So, yeah, you know, that, that kind of became our favourite Joy Division song from mm. there. But, yeah. And so I did kind of get into... Uh, New Order and Joy Division in a pretty bizarre kind of way. But, um, yeah, I've stuck with both of them relatively well over the years. Um, Bad Lieutenant was a band that uh, Bernard uh, was... that Bernard fronted, uh, mm. which featured Alex James from Blur, who we talked about <laughs> previously. Um, and they put out an album in the late 2000s that I really liked called Never Cry Another Tear. Then New Order got back together... Um, without Peter Hook, because Peter Hook is one of the world's greatest douche lords. <laughs> Interestingly that you brought up um, New Order not becoming a Joy Division cover band. A few years ago, uh, to celebrate the 30-year anniversary of Unknown Pleasures, oh, no, Peter, Hook, end well. Peter Hook brought out a band just touring all around the world where they just played Unknown Pleasures, and he did the vocals. Wow. He didn't even play the... His son played the bass. That's incredible. I know. It's just like, what a nasty fucking cash grab. It's and also, like, he, should be, he should be proud of those bass lines as well. But he just sends them off to his kid. Oh. It's just like, you fucking do it. I'm going to pretend to be Ian. It's That's insane. Like, no. Ooh. He could never sing. No, also, it's a 40-minute album. Yeah, <laughs> And people paid like 70 bucks to beat it. Jesus. Well... 
I saved people, not many. So, not many. <laughs> Some you know, people did. Though. Oh, I'm gonna say he squeezed probably about 800 people into the 2,500 people that you can fit in the Enmore Theatre. Always good to know. That included when discount tickets went on sale. Well, so, harsh but fair. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty uh, um, yeah fitting end to Peter Hook's career because fuck that guy. Unfortunately, we can't uh, use up all of our new order talk as we will be talking about them relatively soon mm. in the uh, hottest one hundred game. But uh, so let's just uh, let's just gently close the lid on new order, and uh, we'll see you guys in a few episodes time. With that, that brings us to the end of another episode of Hottest One Hundreds and Thousands. Thank you so much for listening, Andrew and Nathan. I want to thank you guys so much for soldiering on. And uh, uh, it was a weird yeah, five without Adam. It was a very weird five. This was a a five that, as I said before, I wouldn't put these five on a mixed CD. Certainly not in this order. Yeah, <laughs> no. I uh, would put them in a new order. <laughs> you, should, you should just crowd surf out on that pond. That's just fight everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Just running around shirtless, just like yeah. nailed it. Beautiful stuff. Thank you again so much for listening. We'll be back in full, four piece force. Uh, Are we going to do favorite and and least favorite? We can. We can do that indeed. It's an interesting one because I'm not mm. I'm not a huge huge fan of any of these tracks in yeah. particular. I guess at a pinch I'm gonna go with Blur for my favorite track that we talked about today, and yeah, it's probably gonna go to Swoop. Um, with Do It <laughs> for my least favorite. Uh, Andrew, I, w- I wouldn't put, I wouldn't have any five of them on my in my collection that like willingly I suppose my favourite mm. I'm going to have to give it to New Water and my least favourite to Grant Lee Buffalo fair enough Nathan yeah again probably, I, I don't think I love or hate any of the five songs yeah. which is just really weird uh, I think I'll go okay well, well let's, let's change it which song did you tolerate the most and which song did you tolerate the least probably Blur for most. For most, yeah. Yep. And then probably Grantley Buffalo for least. You hear that, Damon? Most tolerated. Yeah. 2K14. Yeah. You can do better, Damon. That's, that's, that's all I'm saying. Like, I know, you know, and you will. You will do better. And we'll find out about that in uh, in the future Blur appearances to come. But uh, until next time, thank you very much for listening. On behalf of Andrew McDonald. And Nathan Harrison and our dearly departed Adam Buncher. My name is David James Young. This has been Hottest 100s and Thousands. Keep music evil. Goodbye. Hottest 100s and Thousands is filmed in front of a live studio audience.